everyone, I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and welcome to our Speaker Series Edition podcast. Today, our special guest joining us from the Solution Seekers Beginners Meeting is Lachey from Orlando, Florida. My name is Lachey, and I am an alcoholic. I currently reside in Orlando, Florida, and ironically, I am in the city where I got sober, Norfolk, Virginia, right now. Um, so I spent the better part of 10 years of my life here, which is, uh, where I got my roots and a lot of my foundation for sobriety. So it's very fitting. Um, it's very fitting that I'm here doing this meeting now. And, um, and it's just, ah, I don't know. It's, there's so many good things that have happened recently, especially since the last time that you saw me, because I'm pretty sure the last time that you saw me, I was like crying. It was Christmas and it was me I was making you laugh and cry at the same time and it was just a very bad it was was a very moving time for me okay I was going through a transition (laughs) but the cool thing that came out of that is um is I rediscovered and my god grew you know um I had to find a bigger god for that situation and uh the god that I once knew just kind of like my old raggedy underwear that had holes in it I had to get new underwear. I had to get a new God, right? I had to find a new concept of God and I did. And, um, and God got me through that situation and I grew spiritually. And, uh, you know, just like sometimes our prescription changes for our eyes and our contact lenses, uh, so does our, our prescription or our perspective for, for life. And we adjust how we see things based off of what, what happens in life and the program and how we how we do things, this program gives us a way on how we make those fine-tuned adjustments. Um, just like when you don't want to hear a radio, right? When you don't want to hear what you want to hear, now you can now we have all these different instruments on how we can change what music we're listening to. And I'm giving you all these analogies just to show you how easy it really is, how complicated our minds actually make it. So without further ado. Again, my name is Lachey. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is February 14th, 2012. And yes, I did just pick up 11 years. Um, this, this time around, uh, this was the first time my anniversary came up where I did not have jitters. Um, everything felt all, not just all right, like everything felt good. It's probably because of the previous month, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything felt good. Like, we're not talking like, you know, like, woo I'm on top of the world. For the first time in my life, like, I knew things were good. Like, everything was going to be okay. Oh, no, we will not have ice sweat in the beginning of the meeting. Um, it was just like, everything was going well. And I knew I was taken care of. My higher power had me. And the right people were in my life for support. And I just knew that I was in the right place at the right time and the right things were happening, both good and bad. And what a feeling to have. Whereas previous years, when my anniversary started to come up, I was starting to have some of the residual effects of um, the last days, you know, the last, the last times that I was drinking or trying not to drink because I knew the end was near, you know, and I, I didn't want to give it up and I'm, what I was holding on to the fear of not drinking anymore, you know, like with, with the normal stuff that comes up with the anniversary, um, all of the thing, and none of that came up this year. And I share that because I, 
I remember hearing people as as time went on say that hey, you know, the anniversaries get better, these things get better. And I also remember thinking, not me. And I wanted to share, don't put yourself in that box because I put myself in that box. And now I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> so free yourself. <laughs> free yourself. Uh, so anyways, you know, I love uh, I love how Tracy said, you know, what it was like, what what happened and what it's like now, you know, and that's exactly what's experience, strength and hope looks like. And uh, that's that's directly not only from how it works, but all the stories in the back of the big book. That's um, that's why they exist. You know, uh, when I talk about what it was like, what happened, you know, and then what it's like now. Um, I don't I don't typically go too much into my drunkologues, um, one, because I really don't have a long one, but, but two, uh, I know a lot of people tend to get caught up on what it was like to drink and, um, it really wasn't a fun time. I mean, when I think about it and I go back on that, like, <laughs> yeah, there were some good moments, but no, <laughs> I was wasting money. Like <laughs> I was falling down. I was getting bruises. <laughs> I was waking up in strangers' beds. Like, <laughs> It was not a fun time. <laughs> like I wasn't remembering things. <laughs> like, and we glorified that. Like we were like, hey, like, this is how many people's beds I woke up in. Like, this is what I didn't do. <laughs> it sounds so we, we compared those stories, like, look at what I did. <laughs> you know, that was, that was that was not a good time. That was not a fun time. <laughs> we tried to glorify it, like, look at how many times I did this. And uh you know, one of the, some of the things that I, that I do want to share, and um, I, I, uh, I was working out the other day and a, a song came on um, that reminded me of how I drank. And it is, it does happen to be a rock song, but it just like, it, it was right. It was the day of my anniversary and I hadn't listened to it in a really long time. Um, but uh, uh, the, the lyrics just like hit hard um, because uh, it just, it talked about, exactly how I drank and I hope you don't mind I'm just gonna look it up real quick here, here give me a second but I'm also gonna talk in the in the interim I was the type of drinker that uh that when when I drank there was there wasn't this um linear progression of drinking you know it wasn't a a sip here or drink there and we're like having fun and, and co co-mingling um, it was, it, there was intention behind it to forget and to move on. If that, if that makes sense, there was, it was calculated and it was, it was very intentional for, for every night. So, um, without further ado, this is how the song starts off, by the way. So what if I never want to be sober? So what if I want to be numb all the time? <laughs> See where we're going? <laughs> I can't justify why I'd want to go slower. Taking my time just ain't my style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the chorus, literally the chorus is, I walk dead or alive. I waste my time whenever I like. I'm feeling okay with my whiskey hangover. I was like, hmm, yeah. I remember that, like, <laughs> like that's my, that, that hit me hard. 
it was it was the hook that really got me when he talks about when he talks about how like how it happens right one sip ain't gonna do shit by the second sip i begin to admit that the third one down is what makes me feel all right and back when i first was getting sober i used to talk about when i really went went out when i first went out i used to have to have three shots to start to feel all right and he like that i was like that's the epitome of it right and then four, I slam, you know, I'm saying under four or five, I'm ready to go all night. And then six, seven, eight, right? That's what really made me go. And um, and so, you know, that's as much of the drinking that I'm really gonna talk about because I, I want people to be able to relate in to understand how it is that I drank, right? Like what it was to make me feel that escape. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it was a feeling, right? It was a feeling of release. It was a feeling of escape. It was trying to get away from that reality of life. And that's what it was like all the time. Now, for me, um, I was very young. I was 22 when I came into these rooms. And because of my situation and circumstances in life, I didn't really get too much into the drug scene. Um, weed and spice, I, you know, because where I was, I couldn't really do uh, hard drugs, but weed had like this weird effect on me and still does it makes me like panicky and slow and like this is i get like i if people do weed around me even today like i get this weird headache and a contact high and i like just like it's weird like it has a weird effect on me so like i can't do weed and i can't do spice i like i panic and i get paralyzed and you know fuck people that can't sorry sorry screw people that can because like i wanted to i wanted to i wanted to be a part of those people who like chilled and got hungry and watched movies and then like went on and did other things just so I could have that experience and I'm sharing this with you right now because I want to show you the procession of the brain who actually wants to do that that's the way that an alcoholic brain works and an addictive personality works nobody in their right mind says I want to have these experiences except for an addictive brain. <laughs> like nobody else in their right mind wants to do that. That's the way my brain works. I wanted to have those experiences just to have those experiences to go back and be like, I had them. I had them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Guys, when I was 12, that was, the time, that was the first time I got drunk. And the reason I wanted to get drunk wasn't just because I thought my friend, my, my friend on my softball team's brother was cute. It's because they were using their heads as bowling balls and sliding into chairs as duck pins. Like, it's, I wanted to join that. Like, who does that? Me. Me. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> so welcome, welcome to my thinking style. Um, other than that, you know, you want to you wanna talk about really what makes a person an alcoholic, you know, we get down to the brass tacks of things. Um, you can always, you can always go back and forth. Like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? right? Was I born an alcoholic or was my, did my habitat, did I say that right? Habitat, <laughs> like I'm a frog. <laughs> was it nature or was it nurture? <laughs> right? <laughs> but I tadpole and I swim into my alcohol. <laughs> I'm a swimmer. <laughs> so sorry. Anyways, <laughs> I hope everyone got that picture because that's really what just happened in my life. <laughs> Anyways, right? <laughs> so, was it 
was it nature or was it nurture, right? We can, we can ask that question. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all here and we're in this room, right? So what are we going to do about it? I can either stew in the fact that, and self-pity and, you know, and talk about the fact that I am here and I don't want to do anything about, and I don't know what to do about it, or I can take course and I can take action, right? And I love, I love what an old timer pointed out to me, which <laughs> old, old timers are here for a reason, <laughs> not and take away old because it's not about them being old. It's the fact that they have this wisdom and this experience they have to share, right? And they break down words and they give perspective in a way that makes it so simple for us people like me who make things complicated. Like I said in the beginning, <laughs> like whoa, there's so much to do. <laughs> make it easy, right? And they're like, just change how you respond to things. And I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? You know, right? Because like, as I'm getting agitated, like, what do you mean? <laughs> change you change it and they're like hey breathe first off breathe i'm like how do you, how do you breathe <laughs> like okay right responsibility first off take responsibility for your actions and i'm like why would i do that they're like well it's your ability to respond what <laughs> yes response ability ability to respond to things that happen to you. You can either view them as happening to you or you can view them as happening for you. The perspective and choice is yours. Now I'm pausing for a whole minute, intentionally, not for that to sink in, but because I actually didn't breathe for that whole minute. Cause then he's like, okay, breathe. <laughs> I stopped breathing. He's like, this is how you breathe. <laughs> Tell you guys, when we first come in here, we don't know how to breathe. We don't know how to do anything, right? We just, we don't know how to regulate. There's nothing. There's nothing there. God, just God. <laughs> we have to learn from the ground up like toddlers again, how to do everything. It's great. Uh, but uh, that was, that was one of those, that was one of those old timer things that, that started off, you know, that just had me, had me rolling. God, the ability to respond. So, you know, a little bit about my drinking, you know, a little bit about what it was like, um, you know, some of those things that what happened. Uh, this, this is a mixed meeting, so I'm not going to go too much into some of the other things, uh, like deep dive into some of the other things that happened. But I do want to mention just for um, unilateral uh, ability to relate into there is some sexual trauma that happened at a very young age that also altered my perspective on life and it altered my ex expectations. And I say this as a part of my story um, intentionally so that you, those who can really into understand that it's okay to get outside help, it's okay to seek outside help and that you are not alone. You know, one of the most important things about the three legacies of this program when you first come in here and if you are struggling is unity. The first thing that you see when you come into these rooms is the physical factor of unity in this program. And I want you to know, and I'm going to always stress that you are not alone. Before you can recover, you need to know that we are here for you in that capacity and that we will show you and hold your hand in that way and give you direction so that, so that way we can point you to some type of help You know that you can get, whether it's a sponsor in the program for the alcoholism or the outside help that maybe can be suggestive so you can get the stuff that you need the help with with those things as well. 
Okay. Um, with, with that trauma comes certain other ailments that also may block some of the things that we have going on that lead to alcoholism. The escapism that I'm talking about, some of that sexual trauma came and brought in that those things that I wanted to escape from, but I didn't know that at that time, right? And so that's why I'm talking about that because I just wanted to suppress those memories. And as some of those things continued happening on because this occurred also in college, I just wanted to pin those memories to the floor. And what people didn't tell me not that they had to, but just, you just something you don't know, right? When you stop drinking, the memories come back because it doesn't get suppressed anymore. And when the memories come back, so do the feelings. And when those feelings come back, so does, so does the pain. And, and it comes back in a way that without some help or without somebody you know, who has that experience, it comes back in full force. And unless you have somebody there who knows how to walk you through it and knows how to do that, it, it can be sufferable and it can seemingly be unbearable. And it feel like the weight of the world is crashing down on your chest physically. And that breath that we're talking about, it may seem like you can't breathe in moments. And I'm talking about this from experience because I've done it with a licensed physician, you know, there's with a licensed psychologist and it can hurt. It can hurt a lot. And so please get the help that you, that you need if you need help with something like that, okay? It is a very sensitive subject to me. You are here for a reason. You are still here for a reason and you don't need to be alone with that, okay? Um, so, right, escaping. What was like, what was like, I don't even know where. That, oh! <laughs> I forgot to start my timer. I'm so sorry. I forgot to start my timer. Anyways, so you got a little snapshot of, of what it was like, right? I, I drank in excess. Um, I couldn't control it when I wanted to control it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, one of the reasons I ended up going to rehab is that when I tried to stop or tried to moderate, I could not. That's what it comes down to, guys. Is that straight from the book? Yes, but it doesn't matter that it's straight from the book. The fact of the matter is, is that at the time that I tried to stop or when I tried to stop and moderate, I could not. Now, did I know that those were definitions of being an alcoholic at that time? Absolutely not, but it doesn't matter. Um, I do know that changes needed to occur and I could not do it on my own. Was my concept or my idea of an alcoholic like the bum, you know, underneath the bridge with the loose teeth and the, the dry rotten bag and blah, 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 blah. Thank you. Um, and dry rotten bag, you know, like lost his house, lost his kids, uh, blah, blah, and mail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> really aren't alcoholic. Right. Like I really, like, like I had such a Hollywood distorted leaving Las Vegas type. <laughs> of alcoholic in my mind like I just I, I really did not think that alcoholics could be young people like me I really you know 22 like I had maybe a year of drinking underneath my belt I used to come in and and, and again you know these old timers and their sayings but I used to be really bitter towards them right because I was in I was here in the navy town and so some of these old timers we're like, I have socks and underwear that are older than you. 
And I'm like, maybe you should get some new socks and underwear, right? Like that, <laughs> that was, that was, yeah, you know, my thing. But, um, you know, I just, I, I, I thought I knew it all. You know, I had an engineering degree by background. Um, I understood how electricity works. So in chapter we agnostics, I was like, dude, this is stupid. I get it. Like, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is, and this was another old timer saying, they were like, we bury a lot of smart al- alcoholics, you know? And I didn't understand that at the time. We bury a lot of smart alcoholics. Why? Because again, referring back to how it works, there are people who are constitutionally incapable of understanding this thing. They just don't get it because they're too smart for their own good. Pragmatically and logically, yes, they can conceptualize this thing, but that's the problem is because they conceptualize it logically, faith is lacking with them. And it did with me for quite some time, right? We're still in this part of what it was like. I'm telling you what it was like, because if you go without faith for as long as I did within the, in the program and white knuckle it, it can be a very hard thing to get by by yourself. Willpower is beautiful, but faith to going without this, without faith can, can be very ugly. And without that emotional growth and without doing this without a higher power, you can essentially be showing up and doing the steps and doing the work and <laughs> here, but you're still like that hollow shell of an existence, kind of like when you were drinking, but without the drink. So you're doubly without a solution. <laughs> Do you know what that looks like? <laughs> I'll tell you, horrible, <laughs> terrible. It means that you're showing up, you're showing up to life. You're trying to show up to life. You're trying, you're not even showing up to life. You're trying to show up to life. You're just making people miserable around you without knowing you're making people miserable around you. And you're just bitter and snapping off. And no, it's just, no, no. So while on top of knowing you have to make amends for what you did when you were drinking, you don't know that you're having to start making more amends for the stuff that you're doing in sobriety because you're just miserable. <laughs> Anyhow, um, anyhow, going back to the thing. So we talked about unity, right? When you come into the program, that's the first thing that you see, right? And I'm harping on these three legacies because you see them all the time on your coin, but nobody really talks about them. This is the foundation of the program, right? The, the spirituality, the mental obsession of the program and the physicality that comes from the drinking, right? And that's unity, recovery, and service. Those are the three things that are always hit within within the confines of the steps. But a lot of people don't talk about it in that capacity. But again, we come into this program, we see the unity, majority of the people understand the recovery aspect of the program because that's the biggest thing that everybody talks about, but they never really give back to the service part of the program and really really get into what unity and traditions are or the 12 concepts. And I'm looping all of this around, right? Not just because I have like, my time is starting to run out and we gotta start getting sober, but because this is, you know, what it was like for my experience. I stayed in the unity part of things, the physical part of things, because that's all I'd ever known. My experiences, my jaded perspective of life, my lack of trust, my inability to, to cohabitate and to commingle with humanity made me stay here, which is what I needed at the time, you know, so you, you do what you need. But I also encourage you to employ your faculties and not get in your own way as long as I did <laughs> and, and take that leap of faith, you know, and what does that leap of faith look like? It just looks like not doing what you know for so long and trying something somebody else suggests for a day or two 
or three or four or until it doesn't work. I'm going to say that again. Until it doesn't work. <laughs> right? Right? And here's the thing is, they say rigorous honesty, not just in how it works, but in the spiritual experience and in the doctor's opinion. And I keep referring to the book because the book is the cooking recipe. The book is the message. The big book is the thing that I refer to for all of my sponsees because it is the unilateral message that I know that if I am talking about, then if I die or something or they move on, right, they move on from me and go to another sponsor, they're going to get that same message from another person they were getting from me instead of Lachey's words. But talk about what comes from the book because of that reason, right? And so when we talk about honesty, right, and the who of things, which is really discussed, um, not just by that Herbert Spencer quote, but in the spiritual experience, love, I love that. And they talk about the who of things as being indispensable objects, right? That willingness. If I am not willing, right, which essentially, they talk about the word essential as well in there too, but um, it's, it's rudimentary for me to have this had to have this uh i'm trying not to use openness in there either because they say willingness honesty and open-mindedness <laughs> right yeah screw it hey, hey siri what's willingness mean <laughs> the quality or state of being prepared to do something readiness <laughs> right so i have to remain ready ready to what hey siri what's honesty mean the quality of being honest oh oh thanks it's french right most of these words are from the romantic language right there are any romantic languages you're french or spanish or something so hey siri what's honest mean so you go back to the root when you look up these words i think that i don't know if there's a i don't know if there's another meaning there's some meaning i think in la that like looks up the root of the word um and it's it's really really um it's really really good uh with for definition wise but um but yeah ah honest free of deceit what what does an alcoholic know of that <laughs> free of deceit and untruthfulness <laughs> that's honest guys <laughs> so i have to remain willing and ready to remain free of deceit and untruthfulness <laughs> oh god <laughs> that's so funny ah. and willing to consider new ideas that's open-minded <laughs> that's that's the who of the program that's the who of the program they say that's indispensable <laughs> And Herbert Spencer's quote, in case you haven't looked it up in the back of the, in the back of the big book. Um, uh, content, the word content is, uh, is when I think that my ideas are above anybody else's and I don't take anybody else's ideas into consideration. I look, I think that you are beneath me. When, when I, when someone places that compelling picture before me and I believe that my truth is the highest form of the truth, I can have no higher power in my life. 
that is the essence of what that quote is talking about is that if I believe that my perspective is the end all be all, then I cannot have faith or belief in a higher power because I believe that I am the Alpha and Omega. That I believe that what I say is 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 God essentially and so when that happens there is no room for God and so when I was drinking even though I never said it directly like that that is it that that essentially was it and you know and I I love I love I love 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 that Herbert Spencer quote I'm trying to bring it up right now because of that um I don't need that I just need I need the appendice give me give me the appendice thank you there's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is content prior to investigation. My principle is my foundation, right? So when we talk about foundations, they talk about the principles of this program. You know, step one has that, all the steps have a principle that are associated with it. And I don't have my big book with me that has all the steps, the principles written down with it. But as I go through these steps, um, each step gave me a foundation for standing, for standing on, right? And as I go through each step, um, as I went through each step, ooh, stop that, stop that. Ooh, sorry. As I go through each step, you know, there's a thing that comes with those three uh, things that we talked about with willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness that I start to admit with myself. So as I go through step one and I admit I'm powerless over alcohol, that my life would become unmanageable, part of that is admitting, admitting the thing that I just talked about, that I'm not God, right? That this, that I, I, when I, when it comes to alcohol, I cannot take it or leave it alone. That when I truly want to start, I cannot stop. And once I stay, once I stop, I cannot stay stopped, right? So then when I move on, have I truly come to believe that in power greater than myself can restore me sanity? Well, first of all, do I believe that there's a power greater than myself? It doesn't matter what that power is. Bill's story talks about it. Then you read chapter two. They tell you that you can conceptualize anything. That's the whole point of reading a spiritual experience. You get to talk about this power being whatever power you want it to be. Today. I have an understanding that it's God for me. You get to figure out whatever it is that you want it to be, right? And offline, if you want my number after this, probably don't, but if you do, <laughs> you get this energy and you get to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, we can talk about that, right? Because there's a difference between belief and, the, and faith, right? There's a difference between belief and faith, which we're going to talk about, you know, that's what step three is. You know, when you make that decision, to turn your will and your life over to care of God as you understand him, that's exactly it, your understanding. We just talked about like, right? When you saw me like two months ago, right? My understanding of God grew. My, that decision, when I made another decision to turn, I'm telling you, when I had that small psychotic break that night, I think it was after y'all saw me, I, I went out and was like looking for a bridge to jump off of. Like, this is not a joke. Like I had a small psychotic break. I wanted stuff to stop, you know? This is, this is not a joke. And I found my God that night. And, you know, you may or may not believe these things, you know, but I do because my God, my higher power that night said, you are going to have 
some of the hardest steps you physically you were going to take to go back to that house that night. But my higher power told me to go back to that house. He said, this is going to be some of the hardest steps you'll ever have to take. But go do it. My higher power did that. I knew my higher power had me. Why? So whether or not to, to tell, whether or not to tell it to you guys right now, whether or not, I don't know. But I'm here for a purpose. And I know I'm here for that a purpose, right? And, and when you know you're here for a purpose, your belief is not just solidified. Your faith becomes solidified, right? And so when your faith becomes solidified, everything after that just falls in line. So making a searching and fearless moral inventory for becomes so much easier because then when you're looking for, people call them the, the, the character defects, but the book actually talks about it as defects of character, right? So when you are becoming clay for God, you're allowing God to shape you. Right. When you say character defects, that's you looking for what you consider your defects. But when God is the one that's talking about your defects of character, he's the one that instills the one that what he says are the things that are good and bad, which means it's not a perspective of what you believe is your your character flaws, but what he considers character flaws, because what you perceive as character flaw may be something else that somebody else uses to to uh, to help them in life or not. And that's the truth of the matter of this. Some yesterday, <laughs> some people heard the story already. Guys, <laughs> I made a boo-boo. I made a boo-boo. I made a big boo-boo. Some people heard this. <laughs> I made a big boo-boo. Right? I'm refereeing a game. It got quiet in the gym. I had a guy come at me. You know, he came at me like this. He started barking, <laughs> right? On the first floor, onto the court. I calmly said to security, I said, get him out and kept on going on with the game. He was deaf and mute. He was deaf and mute. And yes, we can laugh at this because my supervisor called and laughed at me. <laughs> my supervisor called and laughed at me. He was deaf and mute. I misunderstood the situation. I misunderstood the situation. What was the lesson learned? What was the lesson learned? Was it a character defect of mine or a defective character? My defective character and what God allowed me to see was that while you have improved, because old Shay would have been like, get him. I would have done the same thing he did, except for I'm not mentally challenged. <laughs> I would have been like, get him out of here, <laughs> you know? But my defective character tells me that if you follow how you're supposed to do things every time, if I had just calmly walked towards a uh, game administration and said, hey, this is the guy that's disturbing the meeting. Can you remove him? You know what game administration would have done had I followed the procedure, like the steps, had I followed the procedure, game administration would have told me he's a regular, he's mute and deaf, that's how he communicates, and the game would have carried on. Steps are here for a reason. Procedures are here for a reason. My defective character is just a simple lesson. Rule 62, don't take yourself too damn seriously, is here for a reason. My supervisor called. Not only, did he, not only did he call, he said he fell on the floor laughing. And now I'm also going to be used as a camp scenario. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, so again, is it a character defect or is it a defective character? Because now other people are going to learn from it. All about perspective. Right. So it makes four and five really simple. Right. We make that list. 
we make that list, not because we're trying to look and see how shitty we are as people, but because we've got this stuff that's blocking us from the sunlight of the spirit, right? And when we make these lists, we then find all of the reasons why we put up these walls against the world, why we shut ourselves off from the world, why we shut ourselves off from relationships with people, why we tended to look at the reasons. I mean, when I was talking to Cece about this the other day, like, right, like, I started to laugh. I was like, I'm so mad at my sister. Like, things, things are like ash in my mouth. That some, she sent me something that I used to be funny and I used to love and laugh at her about it. She's like, have you done your, you did four step on here? And I was like, no. And then we talked to her and I was like, oh my God, it's me. It's my perspective. Like, I didn't even need to do it. I didn't even need to do a four step. It's me. Like, I'm holding on to this. I just want to be angry at her. Want, like, yeah, <laughs> it had nothing to do with her. It's me. <laughs> right? So four and five, right? Read that searching and fearless moral inventory. I have to drop my fears of this stuff. I have to search. I have to remain willing, honest, and open to this. And then I admit to God and to another. That's it. Guys, I just did too many inventories with you. That's all this is. That's all it looks like. I found where I was selfish, self-seeking. I just told you what it affected, right? It affected my self-esteem. <laughs> my security was affected by that guy, right? It affected my ambitions, my ego, because I felt like a little bit slighted. We just did a mini inventory. That's all that this looks like, right? A little bit personal. I just did too many inventories with you and found where it was rooted. I was just being selfish and self-seeking for some of this little bit of fear. That's all the inventory looks like. That was four and five right there. And then six and seven, right? Entirely ready to have God remove my defects of character. Already turned it over to God and humbled God. Can you remove them as he saw fit? That's what it looks like. Literally, except for one-on-one with another person. <laughs> had made a list of the persons we had harmed, made willing to make amends to them all. I mean, if I could, I, if I find that guy again, I go, hey, I was wrong for kicking you out in front of everybody like that because I, I let my ego in that moment be bigger than the situation at hand. That's what it came down to. Thank you. That's what it came down to. I let my ego in that moment be bigger than the situation because I had a point to prove. And when we... And I, and I want to state this very specifically because I remember going through Bill's story and highlighting this, highlighting this fact. And it's actually something that kept me sober. Remember, sometimes our, our defects of character can help us until they don't. Bill's story talks about in page three, you know, I proved to the world. I proved to the world. Yesterday, I proved to people that you don't disrespect a female official. Yeah, what, I proved to some deaf mute guy, you don't disrespect a female official? Guys, really? <laughs> so, so sometimes we have to be careful. I, 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 sometimes intentions are placed well, but how we adjudicate that particular methodology, we stick to the script. We don't always have to prove to the world how we do things right? Because when we set out with intentions of making sure our ego is in check, instead of having good intentions behind serving other people, that's when things turn bad. And that's the lesson of what happened yesterday, even though it was a funny lesson and we didn't, no harm, no foul. Sometimes, no, I'm not about to raise my hand. No, go away. Um, <laughs> sometimes my thing asked me if I was going to raise my hand, you know, that was an easy lesson for me yesterday. It could have turned out much, much worse. And I think 
the crowd booed a lot. But because um, the crowd knew, right? The crowd knew that this guy, you know, this guy had some had some disabilities. But uh, the point is, is that when I set out to prove something to another pe- person, that means that my ego is involved and God is not. And I clash. And when I clash, I end up having to make an amends to somebody because my will is attempting to be done instead of God's will. And you learn more about that as you go on. You know, you know what that feels like because as God starts living more here, you start to feel what's right and wrong here. And you start to get that sensation. You no longer have to check it with your with your sponsor or with another person in the program because this is where God lives. As you formulate that relationship with God, which is what these steps are enabled for, right? As you go through eight and nine, the meat and potatoes are then done because eight and nine are what clear the final blockages of what you have built up up to this point. You know, to make amends, right? And in case no one's told you this or you want to look it up, you don't have to trust me. I'm just telling you my experience strength of hope. But to make amends means to make whole again. make whole again right and fun fact you're not making the other person whole that you're making the events to it's you honey it's you not them it's you forgiveness is for you not them because when we hold on to the resentment if you look up the root of the word resentment it means to re-injure over and over and over again and so when we have a resentment it gets louder and clearer and more hurtful in our minds every time we think about it again. So every time we think of our mom slapping us for that petty thing when we were six years old, it gets louder in our mind and more hurtful. Every time we think of our friend who stabbed us in the back for that one thing that meant so much to us, it gets more hurtful and more vengeful every time we think of it and don't let it go, right? And so every time that that stuff holds us back, it's like poison seeping into our our souls. That's why forgiveness is not only the greatest gift, but our most beautiful release that we could give to ourselves to make us whole. And so even if we don't go to the person and sit, because this is not something like an amends, like, oh, I've been holding on to this resentment for you for years. That's That's not an amends. That's why talking it through with God and another person is the ultimate form of release for forgiveness for you because you're releasing, you're extracting that poison. It's like biting, like a snake bite, right? Thank you, babe. You're sucking that poison from your arm. You know, that's what this, these steps are like. I know I use a lot of analogies and it's really weird and it's 7 a.m. and you're like, God, yeah, weird. Yeah. So once you get past step nine, you have done basically all of the legwork or the hard work. And I showed you what it was like in a very consolidated form. I used examples from my real life. Boom, right? It's actually that simple, I promise you. It really is. Um, 10, 11, and 12, you know, continued to take personal inventory. And the 12 and 12 is another great piece of literature that breaks down some of these, uh, some of these steps in a little bit um, more format to show you how you can do it. But 10 and 11 are some of the daily inventories and prayers that you can do. Um, 10 is just some spot check, uh, some spot check things throughout the day in case you, you know, you're like, whoa, hey, that's going on, right? Um, 
And you can kind of go down this list of, am I doing this or am I doing that? You can do it at night. You can do it at day. Some people say as we retire at night, go through the nightly list. You could also take those questions and do them throughout the day. Um, they've got 11 sought through prayer and meditation. You know, they've got prayers on 80. Uh, no, no, I don't want to raise my hand. Not stop it. <laughs> um, they, they've, they've got prayers, uh, 86, 87, you know, all those pages. They've got prayers for the morning, afternoon, night. They've made prayer handbooks. There's, they're, liter they're literally littered throughout the big book. Just like most people think there's only like, you know, the nine step promises. No, guys, there are promises after almost every, after almost every uh, step littered throughout the big book. I promise you, you know, they, you just, when you look, you will find them. Um, and 12, 12 is perhaps has been the most enriching step of, of all the steps. There's no one step that's more important than the other ones. There's no one step that brings you more vitality than another. They're all equally important. They're all there for a reason. They're all there because you need every single one of them to be the, in the foundation of your cement as you build your arch through which you walk through freedom. But what I say about 12 is that as you carry this message and have a spiritual awakening, right, as a result of these steps, right, that's what they say, it's the result, right, as you carry this message and walk shoulder to shoulder with other alcoholics and get to be, and get to do this, this is such an honor, by the way, thank you for having me share, when you get to be in this position and share this, this is what it's about, when you get to share this message of experience, strength, and hope, and you get to show other alcoholics exactly how you did it, and get to be of service, which by the way, is that last little piece of the legacy. I may not have really talked about the 12 concepts, but getting to be of service, that's what fills my cup up every day. And I don't have to seek it at, at the bottom of an empty cup or an empty barrel or an empty bottle anymore. That's the completion of what fills my spirit. Because when I first came into this program, I was looking for the physical, then it became about the mental, which was really about the recovery. And as I stay, it's all about the spirit because I find that my spirit is the thing that was looking, was wandering and was lost. And that's the thing that is constantly seeking God and the thing that constantly needs to have that support. And you guys are the things that do that every day. I'm not here without you, period. Doesn't matter how many meetings I do or do not make. It is constant contact with another alcoholic, one-on-one, -on -one, period. Meetings are not. If I'm not calling another one, if I'm not seeing how you guys are doing, you know, meeting for an hour here or just checking on you or texting you or, oh, I mean, Stacy came over and helped me drop off my donations, which I had a lot of them. It doesn't have to be alcohol-related. Walking in this program, and that's why I talked about some of the outside issues, walking shoulder to shoulder in this program, this is what this is about. When we say we're trudging this road to happy destiny, this is when we get dirty. Hey, we may be pigs in the slop, but I'm going to jump down there and get dirty with you. And I'm going to show you how to carve out those steps of that pit and walk out of there. And we're going to be dirty together. That's what this is about. Getting in the sunlight and the spirit, right? This is what this is about. We get dirty together and I'll show you where the shower is or the lake or the pond or wherever you want to go, wherever you want to clean off. But that's what this is about. 
you will not just be out there floundering around. Too many people have done that. It's just, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You know, for me, these 12 steps, being around here, having people actually physically show up for me in times where I needed it, it, I can't, the grace that people have shown me and the family that I have has grown up around me, you will not want to miss. So if you are feeling like you're on the outside looking at today, grab a number, grab somebody, talk to somebody. If you don't know how to start that conversation, um, I have some popsicle stick jokes. I can give them to you. <laughs> but more importantly, and I truly, truly mean this. I didn't know what someone meant when they said, you never have to be alone again, unless you choose. You never have to hurt the way you're feeling right now, unless you choose. Today, I know what that means because I don't, I know what it's like to hurt. And I know what it's like to sometimes have to go back to that and go back and go through that pain. But more importantly, I know what it's like to be free. And I know what it's like when you do have that gut-wrenching pain from blood family, but to also get through that because other people have experienced it and to come through on the other side and have family as your choice of family because that's what AA provides us. That's how God works in and through us every day because that's the miracle. And we don't have to drink one day at a time because of that. Lachey, thanks for joining us at our beginners meeting called AA Solution Seekers. And also thanks for being a guest on Two Sober Chicks. This is our speaker series edition. Julie and I hope you join us on our regular podcast. Have a great 24.